Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. The progress on the gender pay gap has largely stalled in recent years. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Women workers, on average, earn 82 cents for every dollar men make. That disparity is even wider for Black and Latino workers. And according to a new Pew Research Center analysis, those numbers haven't budged a lot since major progress was made in the 80s and 90s. Today, we're going to dig into the reasons behind this and ask, how can we get rid of this glass ceiling? And why do we still have one? So let's turn to Sharmili Majmudar, the Executive Vice President of Policy and Organizational Impact at Women Employed, and Felicia Davis-Blakely, President and CEO of the Chicago Foundation for Women. Sharmili, can you just help us set the scene here in this city? Progress in narrowing the gender wage gap has slowed in recent years. Are you surprised by that at all? Not really. I mean, the the gender wage gap was definitely exacerbated by COVID. So I think we have to take that into account. The pandemic had a disproportionate impact on women and particularly women of color and those in low paid roles uh, like hospitality, which was deeply affected by the pandemic and are really clawing back yeah. um, as well. Um, but we had already started off with women being economically vulnerable before the pandemic. And really what was exposed was how deeply the structural inequalities were present and weren't really able to hold women up. Um, so we still have to make progress with the labor force. And it's a it's a multifaceted issue that requires multifaceted solutions. Yeah. Felicia, the fact that we haven't made much progress, what does that say to you? You know, I think... We really would have to look at some of the um, kind of persistent issues that have plagued women. So there is a clear and persistent gender bias. Um, The other thing that comes up when you look in the analyses are the racial um, biases that come up as well. So we have to think about the way in which implicit bias, I mean, there's been a lot of conversations, there have been a lot of conversations around racial equity, diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, particularly after the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and others, and many corporations stepped up to say they're hiring personnel and staff to work on these issues. Mm -hmm. And we also see today um, in recent news reports that those positions are are being eliminated. And so the other piece, um, I agree with what Sharmili has said, the other piece really is just being honest and having an unvarnished truth about the biases, the implicit bias on gender and race. Sharmili, how does Chicago compare to, to national data and trends? So Chicago isn't all that different. Um, We worked on a report with the mayor's Women's Advisory Council and World Business Chicago and the Civic Consulting Alliance and Women Employed that really looked at what the impact was on the pandemic of the pandemic on women, but also what was the situation even before then. And what you see are these persistent wage gaps, um, very, you know, not much progress has been made since the 80s, as you alluded to, and that there's also this issue of occupational segregation that we really have to address, which is the disproportionate representation of women in lower paid jobs 
and the overrepresentation of men in higher paid jobs. Occupational segregation. Interesting. Uh, according to a study done last March, Felicia, young women that's under 30, under the age of 30, they earn at least as much as young men in 22 metro areas across the country. In Chicago and surrounding areas, though, women make 90 to 99 percent of men's median earnings. Overall, though, the uh, gender wage gap is the widest in the Midwest. So what do you think is happening in Chicago that perhaps isn't happening in other parts of the Midwest to uh, make the, the gap more narrow? You know, I, I am, so part of that is that those statistics particularly point to young women who are early in their careers. And so let's say we're fresh out of college, you know, women are graduating um, in college degrees at every level mm-hmm. at higher rates than men. So they're possibly coming in more qualified. So it's interesting that they're just kind of at parity and they may also actually be overqualified. Um, but then what happens, it's what happens later in our careers. It, it is what happens as, as you we know, age, as we age, as those um, inequities start to add up. You know, in Illinois, we have you can't ask a woman what her prior salary was. But what had happened over time is that women, they start off, you may be equitable. And then as things go on you start to slip. There's wage and salary compression. And so as you age, as parenthood comes into play throughout the life of a woman's career, those that parent that parent penalty mm-hmm. is significant. And we still haven't touched upon the fact that overwhelmingly in our country, child care responsibilities and caregiving responsibilities fall to women. Mm. So it, it 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 is interesting, at least that at the start of careers, we're seeing a narrowing of that of that gen, of that gender pay gap. Um, but the data will tell us over time it continues to expand. Yeah. And Shirley, as Felicia mentioned there, there's a law that makes it illegal for employers to ask how much applicants made in their previous or their current role. Make it clear for us, why was telling uh, employers that information harmful? Well, essentially, it compounds the wage gap over time. So if your current salary is being based on a previous salary, Um, then the gap that you were facing in the previous salary just carries over into the current salary. And then that continues through the lifetime um, of a woman's career. So by saying, don't ask about previous salary, because frankly, it's not relevant, um, and instead base your salary offer on the skills and qualifications for the job, um, then we are making some progress. And there's actually some great research to show that women and people of color have really benefited from similar salary history bans across the country. Yeah, um, Ours, it was 2019. So it's a relatively recent law. But I think it points to the ways that policy really can have an impact on the gender wage gap. It's not a silver bullet, um, but it can make a quick impact and if we use policy, practice, and culture together, we really can close the gap, but we can't just use one. Yeah. As we talk about policy, I know that you have personally been working uh, in the city on this issue for, for some time. Uh, talk more about your group, Women Employed, and, and the, the focus of your organization. So Women Employed is an advocacy organization. We're actually celebrating our 50th anniversary this year. Um, And we've been working on issues of economic justice for women since 1973. So our focus has really been more recently, however, 
on the needs of Black and Latinx women and women in low-paid roles and looking at how it is that we build women's economic power in order to close the wage gap and the wealth gap that exist at the intersection of race and gender. What work has the the Chicago Foundation for Women done on on the gender wage gap, Felicia? So uh, CFW, we are a community foundation. So if you think about the Chicago Community Trust, which really looks at the city as a whole, our um, purview um, are women. So we take and we apply a gender lens to every policy practice. Um, We are always asking the question, how does that impact women and girls? And so in the life of the organization, we've provided $45 million to organizations like Women and employed and others to support their work, to support their advocacy, so that the laws are changed. And also, we sat at tables with policymakers and and grassroots organizations, right, trying to take the wisdom from grassroots organizations and spread that up to the policy level is really important, because often um, those who are closer to the issues, the women who are the ones trying to piece it together with two, Mm -hmm. you know, two or three jobs, those women actually know the solutions that work. And those are the types of laws that we should be advocating. And those are the types of laws we work with women employed to implement. Are there things companies can do? To oh address my, this issue? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. Yes. There are a number of things that companies can do. Obviously, we talked about salary and entry-level salaries coming in the door. Um, we also need to have a whole suite of workplace policies that really support women throughout the lifespan of their career, early career entrance, and also later in their career that provide opportunities for women to do on-ramps and off-ramps as Still today, you know, women, uh, childbearing age, if you are having children, there should be parental leave for both parents, not just for the person who may become pregnant and have the child, but also providing for adoption and those types of things. Mm-hmm. And there needs to be safety. I just I want to reiterate this because, you know, there was women um, need to be safe from sexual harassment. They want the same thing that men want at work. They want to be able to go to work, to be um, respected for their talent and for what they bring and not have to subject themselves to unwanted advances and those types of things, yeah. right? Personally, have you felt the uh, the impacts of pay inequity in your career, Charmeli? I think so. I think in the sense that, you know, women are, are often um, expected to just accept what it is that they're offered. Um, and then on the flip side, told that we just need to negotiate better. Um, when there is evidence that women negotiating actually can backfire on them mm-hmm. um, because it's not seen as aligned with the fact that they're women. They're supposed to just, you know, uh, be grateful for what, what it is that we're offered. I think also our work and the, the occupations that we might be overrepresented in, um, including nonprofit services and health and human services, are not as valued in our society. Mm. So we are, you know, I have and I think we have seen how women's work is um, undervalued and undercompensated. And then, you know, adding to what Felicia was talking about in terms of parental leave and the impact of parenthood, it's not un, it's not equal. So there's a motherhood penalty, but a fatherhood premium. Um, and we see that women's wages um, are negatively impacted when they have children and caregiving responsibilities. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, fathers are actually positively impacted in terms of their wages. 
And I think that points to what Felicia was describing is that those persistent biases and what it means to structure a workplace that truly supports everyone, um, especially caregivers, throughout their careers Mm -hmm. and not just at specific points in their lives. Yeah, and we'll dig more into that motherhood versus fatherhood piece of of this conversation because it is very important. But uh, Felicia, I'm I'm wondering if you've got a, a personal story here. You know, yes and no. I um, spent the bulk of my career in the public sector. And so I would say I grew up um, in the Chicago Police Department. And so this is uh, uh, in, in organizations where there are unions. I will say one of the things that I absolutely knew is that I made the same amount of money as the man in the car next that was next to me. Mm-hmm. Right. It's all public. Right. When you come in, you know how much you're going to make at every step of your career. And so I will say that in the public sector and um, public sector unions and unions in general have actually helped to um, address uh, some of those um, inequities. However, (laughs) there are other opportunities where I have certainly felt um, where it's, you know, you're going for something that was a merit opportunity where you're, those are the opportunities or instances where I felt that bias, the instances where I clearly knew that the things or my prohibition from a position or something like that was really relegated on my on my gender and not anything else. And mm-hmm. so those times, of course, are extremely frustrating. We've uh, we've talked about some of, of the legislative work that's that's passed so far in Illinois. But what else needs to happen? What do, what do you think? What other solutions are there? There, there are a whole host of solutions that can be implemented. One of the things I think that uh, our, both of our organizations work on really is making sure that there's representation. You know, when we work in the nonprofit sector and we work with organizations, we believe that those boards should reflect the diversity of the communities that they serve. We believe the same thing is true for organ companies, corporations, and organizations, that their boards should also reflect the full diversity of our communities, which means, you know, BIPOC people, women, um, people with disabilities. Um, Otherwise, I mean, and we have seen in in the corporate sector that when boards are actually more reflective and and when the leadership of organizations is more reflective, they actually perform better. Mm. Their corporate performances um, 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 is actually better. And so it's it makes the case for for that. There are other opportunities to make improvements. Um, We still continue to have um, a lax of safety. And um, and particularly more and more now for trans women. And so one of the mm. things we have a conversation about really is moving beyond the binary. And so this, you know, gender as a construct, we have to make sure that every gender identity really, um, and particularly those that identify as female, have safety. And we continue to need some additional um, supports when it comes to um, laws there, um, mm. some stuff around health care. Mm-hmm. Yep. Are there things that could be done in the short term, Charmilly? Absolutely. You know, the the policies that we're describing are ones that um, have both legislative avenues, but also employers can adopt these policies themselves, right? So um, we recently had a victory with the Paid Leave for All Workers Act, which is paid time off. And we're waiting for that to be signed by the governor. It has to be signed by the end of this month. So we're we're excited. Women's History Month. Month. Um, And then um, we're also advocating for paid family and medical leave. 
leave, um, the paid family medical leave, because right now FMLA does not actually cover like 62% of Illinois workers. So we're actually mo- moving something through Springfield on that. And then also ending the subminimum wage, um, because the subminimum wage for tipped workers really disproportionately um, depresses the wages available to um, particularly women of color, Black mm-hmm. and Latinx women. And it is the lowest kind of paying occupation in the analysis that we had done with the city of Chicago as well. So there are there are real practices. And, and listen, there are restaurants that pay full minimum wage. Yeah. There are organizations that offer paid family and medical leave. And there are certainly places that uh, already pay already provided paid sick days and paid vacation. Mm-hmm. So these are not like new policies. It's more about the universality with which workers actually have access yeah. to them. And as we've talked about, there's this racial pay gap among women of, of, of different backgrounds. So everything that you're describing, it sounds like we're trying to make sure here that progress, any progress made, it's benefiting all women. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is that right? Mm-hmm. A rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. Well, you know, before we let you go, I mean, it's clear that this this issue of a, a pay gap is it's extremely complex. I think you use the word Charmili. It, it's multifaceted, right? Um, it impacts people in different ways. But if there is one big picture idea that you want Chicagoans listening to us right now to take away, what would it be? You first, Charmili. Illinois is actually one of the more progressive states when it comes to the laws that are on the books related to equal pay. The problem is that a lot of people don't know about it. So we're, we're participating right now with the Illinois Department of Labor on an outreach and education campaign to make sure that everyone knows what equal pay rights are available to them um, and that the Illinois Department of Labor is also available to them um, to help with enforcement. I think the big picture is that laws are only one part of the puzzle. And we actually all have a way that we can impact the gender wage gap. We can and talk about our pay with our coworkers, right? We can ask for more transparency from our employers. We can help pass laws um, as well. And we can value caregiving and caregivers um, too. I mean, many of us hire people who, ourselves who Absolutely. are taking care of kids or taking care of parents, that kind of thing. Um, we can tip well when we're at restaurants. So I think there's there the 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 big the big message is we each have the power to make change. Yeah. What are I, your final thoughts, Felicia? I echo the same thing. I mean, there are things that we advocate for at the at the level of government, um, um, corporations, and organizations. But I will say every person has the opportunity to make a pledge. I make a personal pledge, and, and the last thing that Stremuli talked about about caregiving, all of us. Every single one of us in some form or fashion has care, some kind of caregiving being provided to us or for us in some way. And because of that, there are way more people who are who can be impacted in this space than those who are working in government and corporations. Right. And so I want everyone to think about this and make a pledge to honor and to really value that care, to not be the reason. And overwhelmingly still today, it's 2023, this care work is being provided overwhelmingly by women. Yeah. And to make a pledge to not be the reason why another woman is paid inequitably and own up to that. And if we all do that, we will certainly pushing on the policy levers that we're pushing on. But if we do that personal lever as well, we can certainly address this and lift those lower um, economic women 
who are in those jobs that traditionally don't have as many um, protections. Mm -hmm. That's why, you know, the city of Chicago's that your home is someone's workplace ordinance is really important. And the work there, if you have a nanny or a a house cleaner, you have to give them a contract and a language of their choosing, like leveling out or trying to really put the employer-employee relationship for those employees on an equal, a more equal footing. Yeah, it starts with us. we can do a lot there. It does start with us. Felicia Davis-Blakely is the president and CEO of the Chicago Foundation for Women. And Sharmili Majmudar is the executive vice president of policy and organizational impact at Women Employed. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Reset was produced by Micah Yason and Claire Hyman, and it was edited by Ethan Schwab and Maha Ahmed. Dive deep into issues that matter by subscribing to our podcast. And when you do, don't forget to leave us a rating and review so that more listeners can find our show. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you tomorrow. when information continues to come at us faster and faster. Sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.